Our second scripture reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Roman church, the book of Romans, beginning at chapter 14, verse 1. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on the servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. And those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment? on your brother or sister? And you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us will be accountable to God. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. Welcome them, welcome them, welcome them. This is what we should do with people who disagree with us, according to Paul. Jesus takes it 10 steps further when he says, love your enemies. But let's stick with Paul's instruction to welcome people with different opinions. It's so hard to do because we really want to be right. I think that's a very human tendency. We want to be right because we want to be good. We want to feel safe and affirmed and loved. We want to feel valued. And if we're wrong about something, then are we just failing? And if we're failing, are we somehow bad? And if what we thought was right turns out to be wrong, are we less than lovable because we've missed the mark? What's at stake in these differences of opinion is not usually the topic of disagreement. What's at stake is often so much more. If I make a mistake, am I a mistake? Will people judge me or worse, despise me? The impulse to be right, to prove that we are right, to defend our position, that impulse is strong in human beings. 
Dale Carnegie wrote a famous little book, first published in 1936, called How to Win Friends and Influence People. In it, he tells this story. I once employed an interior decorator to make some draperies for my home. When the bill arrived, I was dismayed. A few days later, a friend dropped in and looked at the draperies. The price was mentioned, and she exclaimed with a note of triumph, What? That's awful. I'm afraid that he put one over on you. True? Yes, she had told the truth. But few people like to listen to truths that reflect on their judgment. So being human, I tried to defend myself, Carnegie said. I pointed out that the best is eventually the cheapest, that one can't expect to get quality and artistic taste at bargain basement prices, and so on, and so on. The next day, another friend dropped in, admired the draperies, bubbled over with enthusiasm, and expressed a wish that she could afford such exquisite creations for her home. My reaction was totally different. Well, to tell the truth, I said, I can't afford them myself. I paid too much. I'm sorry I ordered them. There was something at stake more than the curtains and the cash in these conversations. We humans care about what people think about us. We want to be right because we want to be good. And so we try to defend our positions. Jonathan Haidt is a moral psychologist who tells a similar story in his book called The Righteous Mind, why good people are divided by politics and religion. He says, I was at home writing a review article on moral psychology and my wife Jane walked by my desk. In passing, she asked me not to leave dirty dishes on the counter where she prepared the baby food. Her request was polite, but her, her tone seemed to imply, as I have asked you a hundred times before. <laughs> he responded with an explanation about the baby having woken up at the same time that their elderly dog barked and needed to go for a walk, and he said, I'm sorry, I just put my breakfast dishes down wherever I could. But he happened to be writing an article about how people create rational justifications for their intuitive gut reactions. So he more carefully examined what had happened inside him during that exchange with his wife. He listened deeply to his own experience. He wrote, I disliked being criticized. And I had felt a flash of negativity by the time Jane had gotten to her third word. Can you not? Even before I knew why she was criticizing me, I knew I disagreed with her. When he had that flash of feeling bad, that flash of negativity, as he calls it, he developed his explanations in a split second. Only later did he realize how he had spun the story a bit to prove that he was righteous and good. He says, it's true that I had eaten breakfast, given Max his first bottle, and let Andy out for his first walk, but these events had all happened at separate times. 
Only when my wife criticized me did I merge them into the composite image of a harried father with too few hands, and I created this fabrication by the time she had completed her one-sentence criticism. Can you not leave the dirty dishes on the counter where I make the baby food? I then lied so quickly and convincingly that my wife and I believed me. He believed himself in that moment because more was at stake than dirty dishes and baby food. His identity as a good person was at stake. Both Jonathan Haidt and Dale Carnegie describe a deep listening to themselves that helps them understand themselves more deeply and truly. And in understanding themselves, they also better understood a human tendency. Their deep listening made it possible to have compassion for themselves and for other people. Carnegie says, few people are logical. Most of us are prejudiced and biased. Most of us are blighted with preconceived notions, with jealousy, suspicion, fear, envy, and pride. And most citizens don't want to change their minds about their religion or their haircut or about communism or their favorite movie star. We like to continue to believe what we have been accustomed to accept as true. And the resentment aroused when doubt is cast upon any of our assumptions leads us to seek any manner of excuse for clinging to it. The result is that most of our so-called reasoning consists in finding arguments for going on believing what we already do. Jonathan Haidt demonstrated this in his experience. His wife's request had been polite, but he still experienced a flash of negativity, an instinctual impulse to defend himself. That impulse happens before the rational mind gets involved. This is how our faith is filtered through our biology. We live our faith in these very bodies, these clay jars, as scripture says. We may have religious commitments that we believe with our minds, but our instinctual reactions are always going to be faster than our rational minds. That's biology the instinctual part of our brains, sometimes called our lizard brain, is the part of our brain that, that makes us withdraw our hand from a fire before it can burn us. We don't have to think about it with our rational mind. We don't have to think, oh, this is fire, it's hot, it will burn me, I better pull my hand away. If we had to think about it, we would get burned. Instead, it's a sensation, a gut reaction, an instinctual split-second reaction and afterwards, our mind processes it. Our lizard brain tries to protect and defend us. It takes over when we feel threatened and it shuts down our rational brain. Putting new information into our rational brains will not change our gut reactions. But our gut reactions do change when we have new experiences. 
We have to experience safety before we will trust that we are safe. We have to experience respect and honor before we will trust that we are respected and honored. And we can help each other experience that by conveying respect and honor to each other through emotional warmth, attentiveness, genuine interest in each other's experience. It's a way of being in the world that we can foster and develop in ourselves. And it's a true gift to each other and to the world when we can give that to each other. We can do this in a meeting or at a volunteer shift or when we greet each other after worship or by inviting each other to a social event. The hardest time to do this is when we're having a disagreement with someone. Can we hold someone in unconditional positive regard when we feel we want to defend ourselves? It's very difficult, and none of us can do it all the time. Sometimes we get triggered. But on the receiving end of that kind of generous attention and underlying respect, our lizard brains get calmed down and we are better able to be open to each other and to learn from each other. The Apostle Paul says, welcome them. The ones who eat meat and the ones who don't. The ones who celebrate holy days and observe Sabbath days and those who don't. Welcome them all. In response to Paul's urging, I ask, what does welcome look like when we disagree? Welcome looks like deep listening to each other, approaching each other with honor and respect, warmth, attentiveness, and genuine interest. Welcome also looks like deep listening to our own experience, recognizing when the flash of defensiveness rises up instinctively within us, before we start defending our opinion, we can slow down our response, allow a little silence, take a deep breath, and give our rational brains time to catch up. This is taking responsibility for our reactions and dealing with them proactively and strategically. And finally, welcome looks like deep listening to God's love for us. When Paul says, welcome everyone, he tells us why. Because God has welcomed them. God knows all the backstory. God knows about the traumas that we have each experienced. God knows about the scars and the fears and the hopes and the longings that shape each of our lives and shape each of our responses to each other. God welcomes us each and all, even when we make mistakes and even when we hurt ourselves and each other. God's love for us is based on the very simple fact that we exist, created wholly, imprinted with the image of God, Nothing can take that image away from us, although we may bury it under shrouds of fear and shards of anger, it is still there, and God knows it. We are the Lord's. 
we belong to God in life and in death. Prayer practices, meditation practices can help us listen to that holy love so deeply that we feel safe and valued enough to open ourselves more thoroughly to those who differ from us. We all want all people to be recognized as children of God made in the image of God. We want to be at ease with each other, experiencing and sharing God's love. We want to be good people and good Christians and good followers of Jesus. Wanting it is the beginning, and that's good. Doing the work for it, that's discipleship. May God give us strength and tenderness, persistence and patience, courage and compassion as we walk this path of discipleship together. May it be so. Amen.